Hello, AI podcast passengers. Jump on in. Here's what's to come on today's journey. Find out how. AI is not just for tech nerds. It's for creatives as their best friend. And AI is not here to replace artists. It's here to empower them. And the human is important at the center of all of this. And our campus should always be pointed to integrity, guiding creativities towards a future where AI enhances, not hinder, artistic expression. All this and more. Take your seat. Welcome aboard the Edge of AI podcast. Snap into your safety belt. And prepare to explore the depths of the rapidly expanding AI universe. Each episode is a dispatch, featuring hyper-relevant reports from the pilots, pioneers, and passengers aboard the AI rocket ship. We explore the latest use cases and developments in AI, hear from experts building tech, and learn how this disruptive force is transforming industries. And society. I'm Ron Levy, your captain for today's voyage to the edge of AI. Just like most of you, I've embraced the spirit of exploration and entrepreneurship throughout my life, from starting my own business before graduating high school to traversing the world's most challenging terrains. I've always sought out new frontiers and adventures. I built one of the largest award-winning custom home companies in Los Angeles, and most recently, I've navigated complex regulations while founding and leading a public company that is dedicated to applying technology and training. Buckle up and get ready. Let's tackle uncharted territories in AI today with curiosity. That will be our guiding star. And now, a brief interlude from today's show, so you can get ready to wave your magic wand with Cast Magic. Our team has saved a ton of time and money using Cast Magic for our show, and the potential use cases are boundless for any company creating content. Imagine turning a single recording into a goldmine of engagement for any type of show, webinar, or other type of audio and or video content, whether it's short or long. With Cast Magic, you can save over 20 hours a week. No more tedious transcribing or brainstorming social media posts. Cast Magic does it all, generating show notes, summaries, blog posts, and even newsletters in minutes. Think of it as your content alchemist, transforming every audio or video into a treasure trove of valuable content. Want to experience the magic? Get a seven-day trial on us by going to bit.ly forward slash Cast Magic Referral and join Cast Magic's vibrant Slack community of over a thousand innovators. Don't just create, cast your magic with Cast Magic. So before we get started, I want to uh, do a bit of a sponsor shout out here. Without their support and contributions, this live podcast would not be available. And as you can see by the amazing space we're in, Motion, they've been making waves for 35 years, not only in creativity and strategy, but also in championing diversity and inclusion, ensuring that their teams represent the real world while actively engaging in meaningful contributions to the community and the advertising industry. So let's jump into our guest intros here. And as I said, I think you guys are going to be very, very impressed. So to my left, we have Tomas Opashinsky. He's a creative technologist specializing in AI and ML, dedicated to the pioneering innovative tools and solutions at the cutting edge of artificial intelligence and machine learning. He's driving creative approaches and shaping the future of complex tech. Tomas also has a rich professional history, contributing his expertise at Adobe, Roku, and Netflix, consistently delivering creative excellence and fostering engagement in the ever-evolving tech landscape. His many accomplishments include 31 awards and 21 juries, with his work including over 100 Netflix innovation projects, 700 Netflix originals, 130 TV streaming campaigns, and 60 video game campaigns. And he hasn't slept in many years. <laughs> I, I used to have hair. <laughs> <laughs> and Yan Lu, over on the other end here, she's distinguished professor at USC, our very own University of Southern California, renowned for her groundbreaking work in machine learning for time series applications across climate science, healthcare, sustainability, and social media. With a PhD from Carnegie Mellon University and a multitude of prestigious awards, including 
Okawa Foundation Research Award and New Voices of Academies in Science, Engineering, and Medicine. She's a leading force in the field and plays pivotal roles in major conferences in machine learning and AI. She was also a research staff member at the IBM T.J. Watson Research Center. Amazing resume. And we've got Greg Harrison sitting right in the center here. And he's the chief creative officer of Motion, an agency that has made an indelible mark on the entertainment industry with an impressive portfolio of award-winning trailers and original content campaigns. He and his teams are the creative force behind advertising for some of the biggest networks and brands, including HBO, FX, PlayStation, Disney, Netflix, Marvel, and a lot more. His background as a director includes recently celebrity-led commercial campaigns, as well as his start in the industry as an independent filmmaker. His two feature films, Groove and November, both premiered at the Sundance Film Festival and were released by Sony Pictures Classics, with Groove receiving an Independent Spirit Award nomination for Best Feature. I told you it was a great panel. It's amazing. <laughs> if you need posters, call me. Yeah, sounds good. I'll call you up. So we've explored the extraordinary ways in which artificial intelligence is transforming the creative industries in the Edge of AI podcast. We've talked to Claire Silver, Mimo Acton, Fernando Garabay, and many more creatives on the show to begin unpacking the potential of AI to reimagine creativity and how it's shaping content creation. Today, we'd love to further spark your imagination and leave you with a fresh perspective on how generative AI is redefining the creator economy and society as a whole. So without further ado, let's dive right in. And this is gonna be a question for all of you. We're past the writer's strike, which became a critical, broader dialogue on how AI and creativity intersect. What did we learn from this experience? And this is wide open. Whoever wants to jump in, Yan, would you like to? Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me today. And um, since I work at the intersection between AI research and education, I probably can start from that. And then from in my research perspective, I also talk a little bit about the innovations we can have in terms of healthcare, allergies, and social media analysis. So I start with the education. So when we started with the traditional education, we're basically in the classroom. We're basically having the students have the same teacher developing the same curriculum. And then when we move beyond the generative AI, we started to talking a lot about not only the personalized AI tutoring system, but also it's more towards that how the tailor the students' needs and their own pace in order to build a really creative AI tutoring system so that we will be able to not only provide the education component, but also the emotional support and growth. And I think there is a bright future in there, and that also means a big industry, not only happening in U.S., but also worldwide in China and many other parts of the country. And then talking about my own research where we have been working together with the doctors about different type of applications. One example is that we've been working with a cancer biologist where we're going to see and simulate how the cancer will actually grow over the time given different type of treatment. Then we will be able to basically seeing that investigating different type of what will be the best treatment for a particular patient by looking at not only you know the typical ones in terms of health records, but also the blood samples, their omics data, and many other things so that we can develop this personalized treatment. Another example we have is that we have been also working with a urologist where they're doing this robot arms and operating the surgery. And in there, we're also helping them developing the simulation system so right now, their state of core is that they basically have a particular object and they put in the simulation and then they are moving towards that particular object. It is rather rudimentary. And now we can develop the simulation system where basically we can have the real patient's records and simulating the environment so that the doctors will be better trained in there. So I think I can go on, on, but I want to leave the time to other people to comment on this. But from my own perspective, I think... AI and generative AI specifically has created many, many different spaces and applications where we can innovate. And it's really just limited by our own imagination. Fantastic. Greg, jump on in. 
Yeah, and I think drawing it back to the recent strikes for the Writers Guild and the Actors Guild, if I were to sum it up in just kind of a headline, I think it was the importance of the human at the core of this developing technology. That's really what the two unions were fighting for in the contracts. And not surprisingly, I think the studios on the other side, often owned by corporations, are looking at it as a technology that might replace human creativity or some aspect of that or make it more efficient or more profitable. And I think that key tension is what really interests me in the development of this technology. But I think it's critical that there's a human at the center of this development. Just the way you described it, I think, is fantastic because what it did do is it surfaced the conversation, right? A lot of people that probably knew nothing or very little about AI and what it's capable of and how it might interact with people didn't hear the conversation before. And the way you just talked about it, it's exactly right. And I think it got everybody thinking. And do you think that there was a bridge built between the two? I think there were some real firewalls put up begrudgingly by the studios, but uh, critical ones nonetheless. I think just to give everybody more concrete examples, the writers really not wanting uh, generative AI to be used in concept development or treatment development and then handed to a human writer. That was kind of an initial proposal. Or anything generated with generative AI text can't be credited as writing anything. On the actor side, it really came down to digital likeness and being able to use AI technology and what essentially is kind of in the broadest sense like deep fake technology to digitize a person for a flat rate and then being owned in perpetuity. That was the original proposal of the studios, which sounds very uh, dystopian. If, if this is solved, I'm so happy that they're back because I can keep training my models. So that's <laughs> fantastic. Thank you so so much for coming back. Give credit when you do. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate their help. But it's uh, negotiations between them and studios are a separate, separate thing. I need them for obvious reasons. As part of my past career was literally working with the faces. If you think about it, poster is nothing else but working with the faces, facial expressions, et cetera, et cetera. Eyes, uh, body language, et cetera, facial expressions. So I'm glad that they're back. Uh, business is moving. And we can hopefully, now I speak as Adobe, we can deploy more technology to help them, actually, to help editing, video editing, as Motion does, right? To prevent, actually, with our content authenticity initiative, we can help and prevent, hopefully, the deepfakes and such. So I was joking at the beginning about actors joining back, but they're pivotal in our research because I have to know how the actor looks like to prevent uh, fakes from him, right? If I don't know how they look like, I can't prevent that from happening. So on my end, I'm super happy that they're back so we can continue this actually mutual research and learning. And if the development of tools are coming up, you will also have tools to help you detect those fakes too. Exactly, yes. And, but at every intersection, there is a person involved and that's great. Yeah. There is always so, contract in between, like legal exchange that what we are allowed and what we're not allowed to do. And we're on this actually graceful end of this contract that we are allowed to do a lot to prevent bad from happening. So that's a blessing for me. So this next question is actually teed right up based on what you just said. And this is for you, Tomas. Because you've been using AI to enhance the creative process for a long time. How has the usage of tools and potential applications of tools evolved with generative AI's process, progress, specifically the generative AI? It's been a long time since I've started to be lazy in a way in my design approach. I used to use actions and stuff for, to automate part of my job, right? Now with AI, I can not even automate tedious work, but I can excel in a certain areas right now. So how does it work? It works the way that my personal work changed dramatically, but for better. I can spend more time doing something else. And one of my premises for myself when I went to work at Adobe was that I would love to see my wife a little bit more. Our industry is known to work late hours, and I always wanted to bring tools to designers that allow them to go home at 6.30, right? Or 9 p.m. or 10 p.m., I don't know, whatever. <laughs> so we're on the way there at Adobe. This is just the beginning. What you're going to see is it's a slew of tools, and that will hopefully go through the test of time and uh, will partner with creatives for a long time like Photoshop did for me. This is a tool from without one that I can't imagine my life, to be honest. And yeah, that's it. And a bit later, <laughs> I want to hit on something else. When I was talking to Moss a little bit ago, he made mention that his keyboard is not in front of him anymore. <laughs> no. It's somewhere else. So we, we want to dig deeper into <laughs> Sits that. on the side. But Jan, this one's for you. So there's a lot that we can cover when it comes to the impact of generative AI on the various industries where your research focuses. 
but a consistent component is content creation for social media and AI tools like Gork are pulling in a massive amount of data. In Gork's case, that's from X. What is the net impact of today's AI-powered creator tools on content distribution and how audiences engage as a result? Grok, I've got it wrong. Grok. It's only a week old, people. <laughs> if you don't know, it's Elon Musk's new AI product that we'll pull from X, which as you all know is also his. And so it's a massive amount of data. It's, it's going to be absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I'm glad you asked because one of my research area for a very long time is that we're trying to analyze social media data. And the only data we are able to crawl at that time is only the Twitter data. So we analyze a lot of the Twitter data. One of the things that we see that differ from the Twitter or now X data from a lot of the other data that collected on the web is that a lot of them obviously is short and also a lot of them are actually about opinions and expressions and propagating information from one person to the other. So from that perspective, I think there are two different things we're seeing. One is that I think Elon Musk actually himself commented. He said, oh, it's actually showing more humor, right? Because in there that people express their opinions for a specific event, for specific news, either with angry or happy or hatred. And that means that we're able to get more around the social media about how people react and their emotions. And that is very much lack in many of the data that we get on web or from publications that build actually the chat GPT. I think from that perspective, now we're going to see more personalities in the conversations. And that will be one step beyond what we have seen before. And then the other thing is that in terms of how the information is propagated over the internet, the other research I work a lot on is actually on misinformation detection and mitigation. That means that given a large amount of social media website and platforms and with the actually enabled by the LLM and ChatGPT and etc., that the creation of misinformation deepfake becomes relatively low barrier. And that means that how we will be able to actually detect and prevent misinformation actually affecting the whole society is a major challenge. And I think that is actually one of the major challenges that we are facing in our society throughout the pandemics. And I'm thinking that in looking ahead, that will be more in front of us, especially during cases where you have political instability, you have some issues about the health situations, about whole society, or supply chain, and etc. So I can imagine that we're going to experience more of them. So I think from to answer back to your question, I can imagine that there is a lot more creative contents that will be created through this new data and through this new technologies. On the other side, there's always the dark side associated with it. And that's what worries AI researchers, obviously, all night long. Well, thankfully for all you researchers, because this is moving so fast, we need teams like you out there assessing and I'll call it reinventing for lack of a better word. We're going to jump over to Greg now. So when you look at AI tools and their impact on creativity, their influence begins with concepting all the way through final editing. However, the question remains, can AI successfully complete projects from start to finish without human intervention? And you'll get your chance on this one too. Yeah. I saw that. Well, I, let's have it out, right? So, do we, we don't yeah, do agree on this particular point. I handled the last part of it here, so you got a full circle. Is this a possibility for the AI to finish without human intervention that you see in the near future? Or when, if, do you see that? I mean, right now, the answer is no. Could it in the future? Possibly. But I would pose the question, what problem are we trying to solve by replacing human creativity? To back up on the first part of your question, I think there's a couple different categories of how to think of AI in creativity. One, as you suggest, is to generate the ideas and then generate the output, the image, the video, the script, the voice, the music, right? And there are some early tools that show that it can output those things. They're not good at all creatively, right? But I think the other category that is really interesting, and this goes back to my idea of like the human really at the center of it, is we were talking a little bit about the notion of big data. Everybody kind of knows big data. That term, 
And Moneyball was kind of a movie and a book about that where there was insights that you could get from data through computer analysis or statistical analysis you couldn't get otherwise. And I think we're in an age of big data, big image, big video. There's so much information that we have and AI can be a tool in which we can interrogate that. And that's something we're doing at Motion around our post-production. We have 25,000 hours on our server but we can interrogate through natural language search terms for shots we're looking for, ideas that we might want to cut together. Like that use of really machine learning rather than generative AI has a great advantage to the creative teams. And it goes back to going home maybe a little earlier or getting to a creative product sooner or spending more time in the creative part. There's something amazing about creativity that computers can sort of mimic our behavior that is not necessarily creativity but appears to us as a creativity. I can bring like example of a creative director that rejects your idea the first take, second take and third take. Maybe fourth take is the right one, right? So he or she appears to be creative when your project but it's actually simple decision making, right? And you can fake it really easily to for a computer to appear creative or demanding more from you, right? But I think I do believe honestly between us as a Tomas we can sleep well for next few years because if ever anybody of you worked with a client, imagine AI working with the client, right? So it's not going to happen anytime soon working with the client, just AI. So good luck. It can finish. Just call 1-800-anything and see how happy you are at the end. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's like we are used to designing movie posters at the version of 1568, right? I can totally see AI like crapping out in the middle of it, right? So that's separate part. But there are ways of designing that we can do now. They're pretty satisfactory. And my, one of my jobs at Netflix was to create editorial automation. And what editorial automation essentially is, it's a data-driven design, data-informed design, as we called it, right? So there are certain data points that you can formulate images upon, and they may or may not, <laughs> if, uh, depending on how you interpret them, they may evolve certain emotion with the audience, right? And then turn into engagement and viewing, and et cetera, right? Is this like the art that people click on? Yes. And, so and was, seeing, and seeing what art for, for triggers yes, literally. engagement. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so there is part of this project can be finished by machines. That's totally fine. It works. But this is only one of the slivers within the whole creative piece. When it comes to campaign, good luck with that. We have different way of thinking than machines yet. I think a few years minimum before that will have some sort of illusion of creativity, in my mind at least, as a creative. So yeah, for the next few years we can sleep well, but then I don't know. But I think the question I had, which is kind of on the technical side, is the way the data sets are training these models, is a predictive model alone or a diffusion model alone going to generate actual creative expression? Or is it parroting some version of what's existed before. And that seems very different. I think it's helpful to remind that the human creativity is actually a personal expression that comes from experience and inspiration. And emotional yeah. and cultural yes. resonance. Resonance and, and context. And can AI even be trained in that as a data set? I don't know. Right now, the technology is definitely working towards that. So one of the main breakthrough that we brought in beyond the diffusion models and all these different type of generative model is also the chain of thought. That means that by answering like one complex question, obviously machine couldn't do it. And then they will actually decompose this into sub problems, kind of like you know how humans solve the problem so that it will be able to solve this step by step. And then there's a lot of research work currently ongoing, I'm sure, at OpenAI, DeepMind, Google Research, and many others, Meta AI as well. So to look at the specific problem and really trying to get closer in there. But I totally agree with you in terms of, I don't think that machine is as good as human yet because somehow that we got some other things that machine don't have yet. That's right, yes. And there's some intangibles and poetics that are involved in creative humanity that I don't think are reflected in the technology yeah. right now. It's really creating an assist and through a lot of the podcasts that we've done in season one, what came out of it from multiple people was that AI on its own is lacking what people need to bring to the table. And most of the people, and these are people that are like yourselves very much in the industry, they feel like that component is not going to get fully replaced. It almost can't. It's that two people can use the same AI program, but if one has more history in that particular niche, exactly. it's going to be, they're going to be 10 times more powerful. So it's like with the camera and photographer. 
Literally, this is the same model. You have the same camera, you're almost the same height. Somehow your pictures look crappy. This is literally <laughs> exactly. our, what's our, the difference? Yeah, what's the difference? Hold on, how did you do this? You have the same hands, right? You're, you're six, five, three, and we're almost the same, right? So literally, we did a bunch of experiments internally at Adobe with the same tool, Firefly, right? And yet somehow, not to toot my own horn, my images look better for some strange reason. It's how I tell the story to the machine, how I explain it, the problem to the machine. And it's not only about image, it's about how you describe it as a feeling, as a use of colors in the different cultures, right? What they mean to certain people. And then when you generate this image, it hits them in the face, literally evoking emotions, right? They're getting happier, sadder, angrier, right? So it's this brain that spits it out, puts it to the computer. My little helper there generates those images. And these are reflecting of what's in my head. Similar to a yeah. piano, it's the same 88 keys, but you can play chopsticks or you can play a symphony, right? I feel like that is the model I've been thinking a lot about. I'm in agreement with all that. However, I'm going to ask one tail-end question to that for all three of you, and it might be as little as a one-word or one-sentence answer. But <laughs> everything you just said is true, and it's true now. But let's talk a few years out when AI has collected more data, plugged into more resources for that data, received more artwork in it, and it's much further along. Do you think that, say, five years from now, your answer will be the same or close to it, or do you think it'll be quite different? Maybe some short answers in the interest of time, but I'd like to get each of your opinions. Yeah? As a researcher working on time series, I always tell people I won't make predictions because I know my prediction is not going to be accurate. But that being to say, I think there are a few things that we need to understand to make it short is that data is definitely one of the major fuels for building AI model. But there's more than that, that we are working a lot around making inference and then this particular chain of thoughts and then how we actually creating new things at actually making sense. I think there's a huge searching space in there and how to actually maneuver around the searching space to get human intelligent level. It's hard to predict, but I think probably not yet. I know you, Greg, you're going to really want to make a prediction here. So I'll go out on a limb and say no, but with an asterisk, I think there will be certain kinds of creativity that will become replaced and we probably won't miss it. There could be automatic social campaigns created or certain aspects of short-form content maybe that we encounter. I know that, a guy who's working on it. Yeah. But will AI... Which guy? <laughs> Me. <laughs> this guy. But will it write the next bear? Will it write the next uh, Killers of the Flower Moon? Like, no. And nor should it. Because again, I'll go back to the question, what problem are we solving by automating human creativity and communication? It's actually the cultural currency in which we feel connected and we actually communicate with one another and form societies and culture. So why would we want to automate that? And Tomas? Oh, God, this is a tough question. So I do believe my specialty is personalization and hyper-personalization, so we have to talk about this later, and this is what I'm working on. But I do believe that what we're seeing now, it's, for lack of a better word, it's a primitive thing. This whole typing thing, it's gross. It's just disgusting. Computer. Typing, there's prompts. So I, I often compare it to a DOS prompt on early MS DOS or whatever on your PC. You were typing format A, B, C, you're, I'm such a nerd, look at me, right? And then a few years later, here comes Windows, it changes everything. So personally, I'm working on a few projects that are aiming at that. Eliminate this and make something that people would love to actually do and it will be more natural to them. So I do believe that we're... Only at the beginning, as scary as it may be to some folks, and we'll look at it from five years from now, like, look at this crap. What, 10,020 for pixels? <laughs> what is this? This is like painting in a cave, right? So I do believe we'll get to something friendlier. Of course, we'll automate the hell out of it because there is more and more people on the planet and companies need to produce the stuff to get to them, to sell their Nike fancy shoes, right? And there is no human that wants to do this. Nobody wants to. I don't want to reformat 10,000 different ads, right? I don't. Like, pay me however. I don't want to reformat this stuff. I will shift a five and I'm done, right? Times are going to be different. We're going to focus more on creativity on this brain value and then spit it out or however you want to transfer it to a computer to interpret, finish this for us, or maybe we can approve, disapprove certain things and put it in motion to social media based on the data that comes back to us. This is how I think about it. So this is what we're dealing with right now. Three years from now, we'll be like, do you remember Firefly 2.0? So any of you can chime in on this one, uh, this next one here. 
What are some particularly disruptive real-world examples of how AI and machine learning have revolutionized the creative process that you or your associates have accomplished? And don't be afraid to mention some tools if that's part of the answer. Anybody in particular want to jump out? I, I can jump Go in in no particular order. Runway, that you may be familiar with, they have text-to-video and video-to-video, but they also have some really great AI-powered post tools. We've used very effectively their real-time rotoing tool to what might take a day for somebody can be reached, 90% can be reached in like a couple minutes. And that's like rotoing is cutting out an object in an image or across a bunch of frames in video, so then you have an object that you can move and comp and key into other things. I mean, literally a day or two, two minutes I would say you were just mentioning you don't want to reformat ads anymore. Just so you guys know what that means in our world, if we make a poster key art, that's aspect two, three. It's like a vertical poster. But then it has to go to out of home. It has to go on a billboard, so that's horizontal. And then it has to go on social, and that's square. And it isn't just cropping the original image. It's relaying out the image or extending the background because we've now opened it up to a horizontal image the Adobe is really at the forefront of being able to click a button and make that happen. And there's whole roles in this industry called finishers that would paint that or relay it out in a manual kind of design method. And now it can become a button. And I know you guys are even further automating that kind of aspect ratio reformatting process. And that, that's radical. That's days of human hours to minutes and button clicks. The reason I'm smiling is I wish this panel was about a month ago because we spent the last month in a piece of software having to reformat things a hundred different ways. Yeah, cut, you should have called Tomas. If I just knew Tomas, I could have hit a button. Release. <laughs> he would have hooked by. you up. <laughs> oh my gosh, super great. Yeah, and what's, what's the deck, Yang? I can go ahead. I mean, mm -hmm. for us as researchers, one of our main activities is obviously doing experiments research and then writing scientific papers. And then can you imagine that a lot of the papers in AI area are actually written by ChatGPT? So this is something that we actually are working on. And the, ever since January, when this OpenAI releases ChatGPT, that people already starting talking about, should we allow the use of ChatGPT to help writing papers? Should we allow the ChatGPT to actually writing reviews for the papers? And then the, the, what is going on in the end? We should do that just the ChatGPT writing papers and then rebutting it itself and reviewing, improving again. So after a lot of discussions, I think the major consensus that we come with is that, oh, actually we should allow people utilizing this good tool to improve their paper on the writings and etc. Obviously, on this media that you have seen that, oh, people submitting a paper totally generated by machine and maybe accepted somewhere. Obviously, the creative level is low in there, but I think that from that perspective that we are actually utilizing the general AI tools for helping us in terms of the research part of the creativity. Yeah. And do be careful. I misspelled one word earlier this week, and the report I got back, I'm really glad I proofread it. Uh, it just takes one unknown thing to happen. And Tomas, we're going to jump over to you. How can AI be harnessed to provide data-driven insights and audience feedback to guide creative decisions and strategies? When we talk about personalization and data-informed design, these are multiple sources. Most likely, the area that I'm relying on is marketing tech and social media tech, people reacting with certain things or not with others that inform me what they're reacting to in which regions and uh, what time of the day and et cetera, et cetera. So back at Netflix for four years, we were literally collecting a lot of that without asking for specifics from people like their date of birth, for example. This was a big no-no for us. We didn't care much about it, which day you're born. It was not our interest and it sort of smelled bad a little bit, but we can figure out what you like, right? And that's what, what was important for us. If you're a 16-year-old kid and you watch Titanic all the time, I don't care. You know, watch Titanic. So we gathered a lot from social media, from engagement with our images, right? We're analyzing this a lot. The whole history of this data helped us to propel into the future, helped us to predict what was engaging, what was working for people, what wasn't working for people. Honestly, I had, with all this tech, I had the hardest month or three months in my life working at Netflix on, on data-driven imagery because I thought in the past that I had slight ego, I have slight ego, not a big one, but I thought if I design posters for Harry Potter, I know everything. 
right? And it turns out that I know close to nothing about Korea, right? And how they react to colors and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I had to go back to the data, to our dashboards, and read between the line as an artist will do, not engineer. It's not the hard data. It's not Excel spreadsheets. It's more like behavioral and soft data, what they were reacting to and how, how late, et cetera, et cetera, right? So making sense of that was helping me as an artist to create new image that will sort of encompass this everything. And it was a lot of fun, to be honest. As an artist, I had a lot of fun. And then when you implement this, when you deploy it, when you create a new layer of history, then you can see, have I learned something from it? Is there a value in this data that was transported by my brain and put into pixels, right? There are so many variables that could have possibly go wrong. But we did it. And the performance of this image, for example, was so important for me that if I screw up this image based on the data that you were giving me, then most likely, speaking of actors, there will be no second season if I screw up, right? If people did not engage with this image, there is no force on the planet that I can create a season two. If I created something engaging and the true to the content, then it will come and we'll create a second season and so forth and, and, and stuff. So yeah, this was very important to us. It was gathered from multiple sources, but it was always interpreted by a human. And this is, when you say the image, again, going back to if someone would click to watch something, mm -hmm. like it comes down to, is this image engaging such that it would be watched enough? Like it would have that big of an effect on the not content. Just, not just click, because you can show right. nudity, for example, and most guys will click, right? But they may not watch. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to click, you have to create something that represents the film, that right. it's there a significant amount of time, that later on when you watch it, you'll be like, oh, that was awesome. I saw those right. explosions. So it's connected to what they want exactly. and what they, what exactly. they would like and to and watch. it's different yeah. than data for out of home, et cetera. I don't want to bore you about mm -hmm. billboards and stuff. We can talk about it. We can have a beer and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, this was very important. There is multiple sources, but it always, maybe these are early digital times now that we're looking at because there was always interpreted by my brain, right? Now I'm working on applications that will sort of do it semi-automatically. Mm -hmm. I mean semi because we as a people, we always want to be in power. We always want to have our stamp of approval on something. If we do something without the human approval, this is the moment where the freak out starts. Even if it works, that's where people are losing their pee. So there's, you always I, I think you just spoke wonderfully also on, we always say AI and ML. They cross over. They support each other. Mm -hmm. It's really important to understand that. Do you need your system to actually be learning all the time as it's interacting with the AI? You know what? I stopped saying AI and ML because English is my second language. And it's, this is not the easiest thing to roll off my tongue. And to be honest, this is what I wanted to say, actually. At Adobe, for the last 10 years, we were experimenting with AI and ML. It's called Sensei. And you have 87 different entry points at Adobe, any product, that you have AI and ML. And suddenly, everybody's like, oh, my God, prompt. Woo! No, it's been there for 10 years. So that's what I wanted to mention. I mean, yeah, that tech has been around for a long time. It's just finding applications that are waking up the kind of more general public consciousness to it. Hype, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And Greg, if we can go a little deeper, I can ask you to speak on research about research on partnerships with AI companies to understand emotions at a granular level with social listening. Yeah, that's something that we're really interested in. Motion in general is looking at how we can empower our creative teams and improve our creative output, and also effectiveness in the marketing. I think that's key, is, is what we're making achieving a result, right? And so that's really where your question is, is can AI help us understand the results or fine-tune the creative to create the result that's intended? And we've seen in our research, as we're trying to develop some custom tools for social listening, for emotion-based kind of strategy approaches to coming up with campaigns. We're finding that there's a lot of startups that have used AI to train on human emotion at a level, like a granular level that we really haven't seen before. And it's emotion, yes, it could be, there's eight basic emotions, but latest research says it's probably more like 30. But then there's these levels of, it's kind of building block of emotions that can identify trust or interest, like these higher level states of being that can actually be found through this AI analysis of people's faces engaging with, say, content or watching content. It's at an amazing level now. There are systems now that within a few seconds of you speaking, it'll know exactly what emotions are tied to your mood yes. at that very moment. That's right. And then connect you with someone at the other end of, let's just call it a phone bank, That's that right. is the right person. That's right. And it can do it not by the words you say, 
but how you say it in yeah. a matter of seconds. Yeah, that's, uh, we learned this word prosody, which is sort of like the subtext or the style in which you're speaking contains a lot of emotional information. Anyway, a lot of these companies we found, there's a few of them out there that are trying to apply this to social listening tools, to the analysis of kind of revolutionizing the testing market or the, a lot of trailers are market tested where you'll, you'll have people watch them. But now people can watch them and AI can actually analyze their voice and facial responses at this very granular level that can give us new information. These used to be cameras in yes. the movies, right? That's the, right. People were like yeah, I think that the green, <laughs> remember it used to be the green infrared cameras to see, if, yes. It used to be, are people laughing in the right spots yeah, or whatever, yeah. but now it's down to much more granular yeah, level. levels without yes. them having to speak. Yes. So, yeah, and I'm going to go to you with this one, but this is a question we've all been hearing it, I'll say over the last year for sure, as AI, generative AI specifically is developing, and I think it's a great one, and it's about ethics. So what ethical considerations should creative professionals keep in mind when using AI and machine learning to avoid potential pitfalls and biases in their work? Yeah, thank you for that question. I think that if you saw in the news that earlier this month in London, they hosted this AI summit, actually talking the whole around about responsible AI and trustworthy AI. There's so many different type of country and uh, uh, companies and also many countries sign up the declaration that we need to actually develop specific either regulations or rules or some particular type of guidance in order to ensure that we actually will be able to develop AI systems that will be trustworthy, will be safe, obviously um, agree with the ethics, uh, all these different type of challenges that we are facing. I think these, we can go many more and also even for at the end of this month, earlier this, the end of last month, that the President Biden also just signed uh, this particular challenge uh, regulations about how that we should be developing responsible AI. I think U.S. particular has taken responsibilities as the leading countries for AI research. I think from that perspective, we definitely have seen a lot of good improvement, and people are worrying about it, as I mentioned, day and night. But on the other side, I don't think that this should limit our imaginations about how we can actually utilizing AI for creations and to actually enable different type of applications. So I think there is always this balance between making movement and then obviously that there is some setback time that we want to think a little bit about, oh, what we want to do if something bad happens. And this is really critical, I think, for AI research because now we're really blending a lot of time that about the computers, the content they generated with the human-generated contents. And then from that perspective, when you think about how we our whole invention in the human history, a lot of them around the actual physical world. And now they started looking into our brain and mimicking how the human will think. So I think from that perspective, we have a really good reason for worrying about especially the AI ethics and the safety issues. Yeah. Now it's going to be, I'm going to jump to you, Tomas, for this too. But what comes up for me a little bit is that AI, and most of us in this room, we know it's, it's more of a feature. It's not a singular product or company or anything like that. It's going to be a feature on just about everything that exists, quite honestly. So handling the ethics on it will ultimately have to come back to individuals again, I believe. But it's a fascinating thing. But let's jump over to Tomas and Adobe's approach on this. Yeah, that's actually what I wanted to say. Adobe is part of this deal with the president right now. One of our VPs was present at the signing of this new law and was strategizing with the government. So we're proud of that. And for a few months, I was on a committee, ethics committee, brought as a diversity fella, as I'm Polish, and I have a completely different perspective <laughs> on stuff. So we internally at Adobe are looking very seriously about that on this. We have a lot of heated conversations I never thought that I would go through as far as like bias, gender, color, skin color, religious stuff and such. Our models are trained on our stock imagery. That sort of reflects how and what photographers are shooting, right? So you may probably guess that it's not equally represented for everybody. So we're doing everything we can to eliminate the possible bias. So there is a lot of work at Adobe that goes into it. And every single image that is generated from Firefly right now, it's safe for commercial use. We're not stealing anything from anybody. It's all paid and agreed upon. So 
this is our perspective and that cost us months of negotiations with folks that produce uh, stock for us and other imagery and amongst us oh my god i'm so blessed that i still have friends there but we were arguing about this like crazy i never thought that it would be possible at the company i thought it would be like yeah money let's make money no 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 yeah and i was going to recommend that if you haven't seen it the washington post did a great exposé on bias in generative ai and they put very simple statements into generative ai diffusion models like midjourney and that's like a home in america a home in china or a rich person in the Middle East, or participants at a homeless shelter, or whatever. And it's fascinating, these very simple prompts, it has to make a decision. Who is represented in those simple asks to prompt? And I highly recommend you guys looking it up if you're interested in that. It's very, it illustrates the issue in very stark terms. Yeah, and also sometimes that my people may feel, oh, this ethics is actually far away from me. That's the company's thing. But I think that as a typical user, I don't know if you notice when you go to ChatGPT or other type of large language models, when you type a question and if you change the capital letter to a smaller case, what will happen? So you will notice that actually the answers for these two different questions, just the differences is just capitalized or not, will be very different. And in a sense, that means that there is a lot of challenges we're trying to understanding how the humongous monster is working and how this big generative AI model actually works. And as researchers in the area, we work a lot around interpretable machine learning models. And there we're trying to decipher why they provide the answer to you and why they gave you the answer so differently when you're just making that W as a small letter. So I think from that perspective that everyone should be aware of this issue. It's not only just the companies, organizations, countries, researchers, but also to individual users and typical common users like grandpa and grandma. Yeah. Hence a brand new term, which is expert prompter, which is on LinkedIn, and companies are paying big dollars for people that are true experts. These subtleties make a really, really big difference. So Greg, we're going to move over to you. As a creative professional, how do you decide what creative tools to use and bring in-house, recognizing how quickly your options and the sophistication of each tool's features are evolving? And maybe some of the themes can be empowerment, applied AI to existing processes, things like that. Yeah, and we've tried to start at the core of our culture. And if we've been around for 37 years and we've been a creative company and it really... And we're very proud that our retention rate is twice that of most agencies. We have people here that have been here 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. And it's because we value the human creative culture that we've built and the people that contribute to it. So we really do have to work from there in making these decisions. That said, we also want to be a company that will change and evolve and become efficient in ways that allows us to thrive or grow. And that's looking at tools and that's us being forward thinking in the tech. I think my hope is that we'll make decisions through the lens of our culture. Will this help us make better creative? Will it empower our creatives to do something new? Will it make them faster? Will it let them focus on the part they love? But those are some of the things. But roles are gonna change. The fact of the matter is, it's very difficult for us to not use the Adobe button to make the vertical poster into the horizontal. Our team wants to, that button also. <laughs> but what does that mean? I think if you just run a company through the CFO perspective, you would say, oh, we can have less people. And I think that's really the drive of our corporations that own all the entertainment companies. Is really, they're really interested in AI at scale to be more profitable. And that can be less people. But I think the longer ball or the longer thinking that we've been having is, okay, let's say we use AI vision to revolutionize the way we break down footage. We have manual transcription of what all the actors say so we can cut a trailer and so the editor can find all the lines and we have someone else manually collect all the explosions and all of the action scenes. But AI vision could automate that from weeks to a half day. So now we have the opportunity, do we have less people or can we mentor these people to become editors sooner, right? And I think that's the longer game, ultimately. And that's the difference between putting the human at the center and just maximizing profit, I think, through these tools. In my group, we think about it very much from your perspective, but we're thinking as, as creativity is non-linear in a way, so I can't produce the best idea by 1 p.m. I can't guarantee that, right? So hopefully with those tools, 
I will have more time to think, literally, and literally rapidly develop what my thoughts are. I can spend more time. Where previously I knew that by 10 a.m., I should have three, four solid ideas that I visualize in my head because I will have to produce it by 10 p.m., right? From a random assets, stock imagery, masking, selecting, you name it, right? The color correction, et cetera, et cetera, because it's due tomorrow, right? Now I have this luxury of most likely the same amount of people, but generating something better. They have literally time to think this through because often what happens, and this is why seniors are very valuable, because they can foresee, ah, this won't work because X, Y, and Z. You will never be able to reformat this to horizontal. So they don't go into those corners. Now you have more time to think. Actually, I do believe this is new gate for advertising. I do believe, honestly, that maybe I'm naive. I don't know. But I do believe that people have a cooler ideas right now and they can execute cooler stuff. There was so much that I imagined in my Polish head. I keep referring to Polish head because Polish school of poster is very unique. It's very, very trippy. And to get there to this level, you sort of require some time or alcohol or I don't know, whatever. We have a few uh, hanging in the office, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I used to work here, by the way. And to get to this level, you require time, uninterrupted time that it's really scarce at the agency. There's always somebody walking, music playing, stuff happening, right? Now, if I have those tools that can help me to convey the story to a client, speak in a, a visual language with them, I can sit until 4 p.m. and think about it. And by 6 p.m., I can have a few mock-ups and send it to Warner Brothers or whatever for their revisions, right? And then I can start actually generating because that's visual is a part of the story. We can talk about it for hours, by the way. But the storytelling is very important. So meaning of color, et cetera, et cetera, right? So then it gets refined. But for creative, freaking awesome. Which really goes into the future of work. And I'll just say for all of us or our society in general, these are really big questions. And you all are complete experts in sort of the entertainment interest industry and content creation as well, and the educational side. So we've, we've got it all sort of covered here. What are the jobs that you think will be added or changed the most? And will the net impact on society be, be, will it be more economic growth? Or could we some, see some stagnation as this, I'll call it, transition is happening? And Yann, if you want to... Sure, I can definitely jump on it first. So I think that as educators, that this is obviously the question that we have been thinking about. And then from the perspective as educator, we definitely want to make sure that the students, when they come out of the school, they will be able to have a good social-emotional skills, but also have the intellectual capability to actually learn things, and then obviously the knowledge will change over the time, and then that means that we will not be able to teach everything they need, and we have to adapt to this particular environment where we come from. So during our department retreat, that we, as the computer science department, that full of AI experts and computer science experts, and then we were asked to tell, oh, which particular job is actually, has been, go is actually real existing there, but has gone out of fashion, nobody use it. And one of them is actually a picture showing a lady was having holding a tube and then she was trying to blow this piece in the mouth to the window so that she can wake up somebody. And this is like alarm services before the alarm was actually invented. So can you imagine that this type of job actually exists before? And so I think from that perspective, that from education perspective, we always train the students that they will be able to actually hold the right value. And that is related to AI ethics. No matter what technology changes, the most important thing is that holding the right value for the society. But on the other side, their capability to learn and adapt to the new world. I love that on that value. That's great. I think there will always be, and it's been throughout time, that say the electric elevators replace the elevator operator, right? That model has been going on for centuries, really, right? So that's always gonna happen. But I'll pose this question. We have talked as a given that this tech needs a human at the center, and that human is this brain, this Polish brain, with all its knowledge, history, experience, helping tell the computer what you want. Now, if you go out into time, have we not broken our chain of mentorship to create those very brains? Will the leaders, the future leaders that will, yeah, we need to still nurture the brains that will dictate it. And I think there's a very strong downward pressure from corporations to automate and commoditize everything. 
really. And I do think we're seeing the dark side really be tied to that effort. But just to bring it back to motion, I've thought a lot about that. It's like, if I go to ChatGPT to tell me five things that rhyme with this word because I need to get this copy out the door, that's a request I did not make of my assistant who aspires to write, right? And it's little things like that times a thousand that start to break the chain. And then where are the brains, <laughs> right, that are going to talk to the this computer? This is an interesting perspective. Like, I keep thinking about it as a map. Like, if I had a car without navigation right now, I would never be here. I would be stuck somewhere in East L.A., right, and be asking questions. But honestly, and this is my true, honest belief, that I do believe we're going to have a new jobs. And from people that I'm talking to at enterprises, there are already groups forming that never existed there before. There is an innovation team at agency, right? Never been there before. There is AI team that does some sort of machine learning internal, uh, very specific to their agency, their clients, and the product that they are doing. That was never there before. I have not heard last year about Cybrarian. Now in England, they have a bunch of Cybrarians. There is a dude, my friend in Poland, who is AI creative director. Go figure. He does literally the same, but with just prompting in mid-journey, right? Which he shouldn't be using commercially, by the way. <laughs> That's a separate story. Uh, right. But I do believe there's going to be one, our job is going to change. Like Photoshop changed me from sketching to Photoshop and scanning and forget about scanning and get the photo. Here's the irony of that. When I started in posters, they're big 27 by 40, and I was given two megapixel picture to do this, right? And now I get like 80 megapixel pictures to do this frame for internet. Like, what's going on <laughs> with humanity? Like, are yeah. we like, we're going backwards completely. So stuff like that. Honestly, I do not worry. If I will be stupid, I'll be probably punished a few years ago. Somebody will slap me somewhere on the street, right? But there's going to be new jobs. Your job is going to change. The folks that are entering market right now, they're in awesome perspective. They can harness it smartly and use it as their advantage. And that's their huge advantage. I'm not sure if they're seeing. They don't have to go to Photoshop. You have no idea how many hours I was sweating with Photoshop. I love it now. It's, I have it in my fingers. I would never replace it. But folks, now that I have app for this, I have app for that, I don't care about Photoshop, right? Which is a problem for Adobe, probably. <laughs> but they don't have to suffer. They don't have to go through this steep learning curve. They can start crack-a-lacking and create stuff way more beautiful than I did in, at their time. So I do believe there's going to be more jobs that will change. Folks that are on precipice uh, between one and another will suffer a little bit, will have to change, adjust, like they adjust with the 3D technology, right? I was lucky enough that I embraced it, but I think most of my friends, our directors or creative directors, did not. So they didn't want to work with, in 3D because it's complicated, there's camera, textures, I don't get this stuff, right? And here was Tomas, we're like, oh, why not? So because of this 3D, I could actually, I didn't do this with motion, by the way, I could charge more. Actually, because I embraced that. I've spent enough hours to learn that. I invested in my computer so I could charge more. And yeah, this was the thing. So it just it's all here. Okay. Unfortunately, one of the things that AI cannot do is stretch days beyond 24 hours or one hour beyond an hour. So that's yeah. pretty much a wrap here. But before we close it out, where can listeners go to learn more about each of you and the projects that you're working on? Yan? If you're interested in our research, you can check out our group research website, melody.usc.edu. Okay. And you can check out all of Motion's work at motionla, M-O-C-E-A-N-L-A.com. Misspelled. No. <laughs> oh, oh, shoot, you're right. <laughs> what I do is top secret, so good luck. Um, but, uh, but if you were to watch Adobe Max, Adobe Max sneaks, you will see work. Uh, one of them is a project that I was partially on for the last two years. It's called Stardust. It's a different look at photo editing. You literally edit as an object, not as a pixels. So you can get a sense of that there. And on my website, opashinski.com, you see my weird experiments with toasters or uh, shipping container housing. If you're interested in something like this, go ahead, visit me. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, it was awesome. Hello again, AI Explorers. Thank you for staying with us on this rocket ship. Your thoughts matter to us, so share what you enjoy most about Edge of AI and what you crave more of on our socials at edgeof underscore AI. Your insights shape our content and guest choices, so thank you for being with us today. On to the next segment. Well, there you have it. We've journeyed through the power of AI in the creative world, touching on its impact, challenges, and boundless possibilities in entertainment. If there's anything you'd like to take away for tonight, it's that AI isn't just a tool. It's a catalyst for artistic innovation and a bridge to a new era of creativity. 
Embrace it, experiment with it, and let it elevate your creative journey. And don't forget to share with us your thoughts on our socials. Thank you again to our sponsor, Motion, our speakers on stage, Tomas, Greg, and Yan, and all of our listeners for being part of this enlightening discussion. We look forward to seeing the incredible art, music, and stories that you'll create, powered by the fusion of human creativity and technology at the edge of AI. It's time for another safe landing at the outer edges of the AI universe for today. This is your captain, Ron, and on behalf of our guest and the entire crew, I'd like to thank you for choosing the voyage with us today. We wish you a safe and enjoyable continuation on your journey. When you come back aboard, make sure you bring a friend. Our starship is always ready for more adventures. Head over to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and share your thoughts. Your support and feedback mean the world to us. Don't forget to visit edgeofai.xyz to learn more. Connect with us on all major social platforms by searching for edge of underscore AI. Join the exciting conversations that are happening online. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of AI reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. While we make every effort to ensure that the information about AI technology is accurate and up-to-date, we cannot guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or timeliness. We make no representations or warranties of any kind with respect to the information, products, or services discussed. Please be aware AI may occasionally generate incorrect or misleading information and produce offensive or biased content. Under no circumstances shall we be liable for any loss or damage, including without limitation, indirect or consequential loss or damage, or any loss or damage arising from loss of data or profits arising out of or in connection with the use of technology discussed on our podcast. Additionally, our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. Lastly, time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of these links. Refer to our website, edgeofai.xyz, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, privacy policy, and copyright notice.